The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Why don't we go ahead and get started? So, again, a big, deep welcome to everybody. I'm assuming you can hear me okay. Otherwise, if at any time it's not easy, just put something in the chat and that will help me know. And I've muted everybody right now, and it's good to keep yourself muted, help me out that way. But of course, there'll be times, and they're really important times, when uh, we want to hear from each other. And then, of course, just unmute yourself, um, and then mute yourself when you're done speaking. So my name's Mark Nunberg, and I'm the guiding teacher at Common Ground Meditation Center. And uh, I'll say a little bit more later tonight about... Um, Common Ground Meditation Center and the kind of practice, Buddhist meditation practice we do there. But what I found useful over these many years of teaching the introduction class, I don't know if people realize, but Common Ground's been around since 1993, so a long time now. And my wife and I founded the center back then. But in all these years of teaching the introduction class, of course, the best way to begin is just to do some practice. And of course, some of you have been practicing for a long time. Some of you are maybe totally new to mindfulness meditation practice. But whether you're the so-called expert, been doing it for decades or brand new, it's nice to have a fresh attitude. So I'm always hesitant to say something like, okay, let's start meditating. Because then all of our programming about what meditation is supposed to look like kicks in and we sit up straight or we feel like we have to come into a particular posture. So it's totally fine to adjust your sitting posture now if you want. But remembering that being mindfully aware doesn't isn't dependent on any particular posture. So just notice now as you're sitting, even before not needing to close your eyes, just notice what is the mind aware of? What is the mind knowing? And it might be a sense of awkwardness or self-consciousness. It may be aware, the mind might be aware of the physicality of the body sitting. It might be attuned to the sound of my voice or some judgment about the sound of my voice, liking it, not liking it. What is the mind aware of? And here's another interesting question to reflect on. Is it possible to leave, to leave alone the object that the mind is knowing? To just allow whatever the mind is knowing to express itself as a object of experience. You could call this non-judging or not reacting to what's being known. Is it possible to just leave experience alone? Just explore that. Whatever it is that the mind's knowing, you're not, nobody's asking us to direct our attention here or there. Can we leave, can the mind, the heart, leave experience alone? So there's knowing, there's awareness. Can we leave experience alone? And regardless of what the answer is, 
you see your mind struggling with experience, reacting to it, judging it, well, can you leave that alone? Or you find that your mind is open and balanced and not reacting, well, leave that alone. Can that happen? And so again, sitting either with the eyes open or lightly closed, we're just going to go through the six sense gates. So we know the five senses, the what in Buddhism we would call the physical senses of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and touching. And then the sixth sense gate, the sixth way we know experiences, we can know mental activity. And these are the six things that consciousness illuminates, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and thinking, or any, really, any mental activity. So let's just go through. So we're just sitting in a comfortable way, curious about what mindful awareness might be, even if you're, you've been doing it a long time. So <clears throat> whether or not the eyes are open, let's just take a moment and realize that seeing is being known. And of course, this even happens if the eyes are closed, you're still visual experience. <clears throat> it's just not as interesting. So just be aware of this present moment experience of seeing. You don't have to think about the sights that are being seen. And it's not about looking at this or that more receptive connection with this sense gate of seeing. Seeing is being known. And you can even use a phrase like that silently in the mind to orient around what mindful awareness is. Seeing is being known. It's just seeing being known. Let's take a few seconds. We'll do the same thing with the experience of hearing. So we're just attuning to the natural experience of hearing. And one useful thing to notice, like you don't actually have to try to hear. Hearing is already, that capacity is already online, already available. So we're just more or less noticing that hearing is being known. whether it's the sound of my voice or the ambient sounds of the room. Even the sounds your own body is making, gurgling in the stomach or swallowing or the sound of the heart beating in the chest. Hearing is being known. And we just leave the experience of hearing alone. Just allow it to be what it is. Hearing is being known. And now this experience of sensation, touch, or the tactile experience. And don't feel like you have to pay attention to each 
sensation in the body, but it's more about resting back and allowing all the different sensations to be known. So it's more like listening to the whole orchestra instead of picking out particular instruments. Sensation is being known, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, subtle sensations, gross, obvious sensation. And just be in this simple place, sensation is being known, sensation is being felt. Just experiment with leaving it alone, trusting that it's okay just to feel sensation come and go, to be in a way exposed to the body, bodily sensation. And just see if you can relax or rest more fully in this experience of being aware of sensation. More fully trusting this experience of body, bodily sensation. Of course, it's not constant. You probably will notice it's more like a river, changing river of sensation. flowing on and on. Sensation is being known. And let's bring together the last two senses, physical senses, before we turn to the mind. So that would be smelling and tasting. Probably not too active now, but maybe some residual tastes that the tongue is tasting, maybe left over from dinner or whatever. And the same with smells, maybe some residual smells in the room. But these are two obviously very important sensitivities. And even when the smells or the tastes aren't obvious or distinct, it's still part of what is being known in the present moment. So we're just practicing being mindfully aware, recognizing, and for a period of time, keeping in mind, smelling and tasting. Keeping in mind. Smelling and tasting is like this now. So smelling uh, a neutral, non-distinct smell is in fact a smell. This is the reality of smell is this non-distinct or neutral experience. That's something that can be known here and now. Same with a neutral or indistinct taste. Smelling and tasting is being known. And let's see if we can bring these five physical senses together now. So we're just sitting here, of course, eyes could be open or closed. And they're seeing being known naturally without any personal effort. 
whether or not the eyes are open or closed, seeing is being known. Hearing is being known. Touches are being known and felt. Smells and tastes being known. So we're practicing being aware and being in a way exposed to these five physical senses. And they keep changing, of course, it's not, nothing is static about any of these five senses. And obviously this is a big part of what we call the present moment, the sensitivity through these five sense gates, as we call them in Buddhism, the five physical sense gates. And we also know experience through the sixth sense gate of mental activity, mind. So this is emotion and thought and mental images. any mental activity whatsoever, that it's being known, well, that's the sensitivity to mental activity. Just like we have sensitivity to touch, the mind naturally is also sensitive to mental activity. Of course, we're less clear, less competent at noticing mental activity, to be mindfully aware of mental activity, but we can develop this capacity. So for the next minute or two, just practice, do the best you can, let that be good enough, just practice being aware of mental activity. And it can help to stay grounded in the physical sensations of the body. And as you're being aware of sitting as a physical the physical sensations of sitting, you'll just notice there around the edges, the periphery, thoughts coming and going, mood, emotion, mental images, whatever. And this, of course, includes any thoughts you have about the meditation. Well, that's just a thought being known. That's just a reaction being felt. Now the last part of this little meditation, mindfulness exercise that we're doing, is just to be aware of both the body and the mind together. So we're here, alert, interested in what's being known, and relaxed. And for the first part of the course, this is the easy way to remember to be mindful can I be alert and relaxed? These two qualities. And for just another minute, sitting here 
alert and relaxed, interested and relaxed. Just experiment, like, can we stop, is it possible even, to stop being aware? And I ask that question, can we stop being aware, so that you get a little intuitive sense that awareness isn't something that you or I turn on or turn off. It's just a natural functioning, a natural aspect of the mind. And in that way, it's actually quite impersonal awareness. And we tend not to notice it as something here and now. But through the course of this class, this six-week class, we're going to get very interested in this particular mental capacity we call mindful awareness, wisdom and awareness, which is really just remembering to recognize the present moment or to remember to recognize what the mind is knowing, that the mind is knowing. Good, so just uh, adjust your body as you need to. Hopefully you were already normal, but if you weren't normal <laughs> during the meditation, relax, let your body be at ease. And it's really good to be with you. And as I mentioned briefly at the beginning, um, and we'll have time tonight, a lot of the learning comes from people in the class, their willingness to share what you're learning, what's challenging, what's feeling good in the practice, questions that emerge, so keep that in mind, and we'll have time a little bit later uh, this evening just to see what questions you have or comments you have, even from this first practice that we did. And I think it's really important to say right from the beginning, first of all, these days, you know, back when I started my practice in the early 80s here in the States, you know, Buddhist meditation practice was relatively uncommon and mindfulness had yet to become a thing. Now it's definitely a thing in our culture, and you hear about it a lot, and uh, that's great, mostly, but it can be problematic because people talk about it in a lot of ways. So this six-week class, you know, Common Ground Meditation Center, we're uh, an organization, and we're actually a Buddhist church grounded in early, what we call early Buddhism, or Theravada Buddhism. These are the sort of early teachings of Buddhism. And there's, of course, many wonderful schools, lineages of Buddhism. This is uh, the Theravada lineage. And uh, it's a very pragmatic and somewhat psychological expression of these teachings from this human being that is referred to as the Buddha, which is just a title. It means somebody who's awake or someone who's enlightened somebody who has come to understand the mind very deeply. 
And the Buddha did that, evidently, and then taught for about 45 years after his <clears throat> deep insight until he was an old man in northern India back about 2,500 years ago, so a long time ago. And amazingly, really, that these teachings, you know, obviously a different time and a different culture, are still quite pragmatic and relevant for our mind today. Because at the at the level that Buddha came to understand his own heart and mind, and in Buddhism, heart and mind we use synonymously. We don't distinguish heart and mind. There's body and heart-mind, for lack of a better way of saying it. And the Buddha came to understand his heart so deeply that it, it sort of, at a level, sort of, you could say, beneath cultural conditioning. So that even though we're using these teachings, and, you know, of course, over that length of time, imperfectly passed down all those centuries, but well enough that we can get a sense of how this person taught and what he was pointing to with these teachings, very pragmatic, very straightforward about this nature of our mind, the nature of experience, the nature of the mind. And all of this learning, you know, using our own mind, our own awareness, turning it in so that we're actually getting curious about our own heart and mind. And that's really, that alone is astounding. I mean, I often joke in these intro classes that the most amazing thing in the world is that we have a mind, all of us, we have a heart and mind, and how profoundly uninterested most of us have been most of the time. We're interested in kitchen, gad kitchen gadgets and new iPhones and, you know, interesting restaurants and we're interested in so many things, but how much energy, how much actual interest have we had and followed through with using our own capacity to look, to open to the activity of our own heart and mind? It's pretty rare. And clearly, you know, as a human being, it's the most relevant thing that there's awareness, there's consciousness, there's this internal, well, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, there's this internal experiencing. There's all this sort of internal programming, these tendencies of my mind, right? The tendencies of my personality, the implicit biases that have been conditioned in through culture. It's all here. And we're generally, you know, generally speaking, profoundly uninterested in it. Or maybe a more fair way of saying it is we're, we think we're so busy with everything else that we'll get to it later. When I retire, I'll get interested in my heart. I'll start to pay attention to the, my inner experience. I'll use my capacity to be awake, to be aware, to notice what the mind is knowing, to notice the present moment. And it can, don't worry if it feels a little confusing, like, well, what does Mark mean by the present moment? So let's just take a moment now, a few moments, and just like, what is the present moment? And the simple answer to that question is, this experience being known is the present moment. It's not more complicated than that. So when, no, just do this in real time. So not just on this level of language or concept, but 
just right now there's awareness, there's consciousness knowing this, whatever it is for you, you know, it won't be the same for me as for you, but there is awareness. And what is awareness knowing? It's knowing this experience, we say. So that's the present moment. These two aspects that we can't really separate. There's the knowing and what's being known. And so the present moment is always something being known. And, that, and they kind of live together. And I can look at the present moment and I can realize there's knowing. And I can look at the present moment and I can tune into what's being known. Right? And we want to get really skilled at doing both of that. Like realizing, oh yeah, this is the present moment and this is being known. Or this is the present moment and there's knowing, knowing this. But I'm interested that there's knowing more than what is being known. In other moments, we can be more interested in what's being known. But that's it. And that's not a small <laughs> learning, right? Because obviously this is subtle in the sense of we're not used to turning the awareness inward. As an animal, we're mostly, the awareness is mostly going out to five senses. What are we seeing? What are we hearing? What are we smelling and tasting? And what are we touching? And a lot of our mental activity as an animal is our thoughts about what we're seeing and what we're hearing and what we're tasting and what we're smelling and what we're touching. That fills up most of our experience, you know, thoughts about our, phys our physical senses and our physical senses. So in a way, we're adding another dimension to our being a human being, which is this interest in the present moment, interest in what's being known. So it's almost like a reflective, like I mentioned, another dimension where we're realizing, oh yeah, this is being known. And I'll give you an example because, you know, back when we were driving to the center to, to take the intro class, you know, we'd show up at our meditation center and South Minneapolis here, maybe some, I'm guessing some of you have been there, but, and someday we're going to reopen, <laughs> but uh, for the summer at least, we'll do the intro class online. But you could like drive home from work or drive home from Kamgram Meditation Center, and you could make it home without an accident and walk into the apartment or the house. But you could realize, you know, if someone asked you, well, was there a lot of traffic or... And you realize, you know what, I was totally thinking about this problem in my life. Obviously, I made the right turns, I sped up and slowed down when I was supposed to, but I really wasn't mindfully aware when I drove home. I was on autopilot. So we would say I was conscious because I was seeing, obviously. How, how would I know whether to speed up or slow down or turn right or turn left? So I was consciously aware but I wasn't mindfully aware. And you know, this is just you, how we use language. So when we say mindfully aware, as opposed to just being conscious, we mean that there's this reflective element. So there's, you know, holding the steering wheel and there's a, an awareness. Oh yeah, touching is being known. Seeing is being known. And if I'm not liking the traffic, oh, irritation is being known. Now, 
of course, for me to convey this to you, I'm using this phrase a lot, you know, something is being known. And as a meditator in a formal sitting time or just meditating during the day, being mindfully aware during the day, you can use a phrase like that when it's helpful. This is being known. And instead of the word this, you can name the sight, the thought, the sound that's being known if you want. But you don't have to. So you're going to hear me say this all the time in the next six weeks. Oh yeah, this is being known. But I'm pointing to that actual activity of your mind, mindful awareness, recognizing the present moment. And that's a good thing to memorize. Like, So what's the definition of mindfulness again? Remembering to recognize the present moment. Because human beings, we can live, and mostly we do live, without recognizing the present moment. So it's a new thing to be living your life, whether you're sitting still in a meditation or you're just doing your day. It's a new thing to keep the present moment in mind. And I'll be teaching you, you know, particular meditation objects to help you be aware of the present moment but just always remember, like for example, the being using the physicality of breathing in and breathing out. Whether you feel that as a, you know, an expansion and contraction of the rib cage, or rising and falling of your abdomen, or a little touching as the air goes in and out of the nostrils, right? But really, the object of meditation, what we're keeping in mind, is the present moment. But we use like the touching as the air goes in and the touching as the air goes out. This is a simple experience of physical contact, touching here, right? We use that simple physical touch of the air going in and out of the nostrils as a support, as a kind of working ground or training ground to keep the present moment in mind. Because where does the touching happen in the present moment? So a lot of the meditation objects people use in mindfulness meditation, you don't want to get tight or hung up about the particular object that you're using, the particular meditation object that you're using, because what's really important is keeping the present moment in mind. And so sometimes we'll use an exclusive object, like again, back to the breath, with, and some people feel it better more easily as the rising and falling of the abdomen, or just a general movement in the rib cage, or the more specific touching at the nostrils. And you can just decide for yourself how the physicality of breathing in and breathing out is easily detected in your body as a bodily sensation or a bodily movement, right? But it's just a context, uh, like a really useful crutch to keep the present moment in mind. Just like we, some people like use, uh, to use hearing. You know, when you're in your meditative space, someplace in your home that's relatively quiet, the cat or dog's in the other room, the people you live with know not to disturb you, you've shut your cell phone off so it's not going to do beeps or any of that, right? And then you sit in a comfortable way, upright and relaxed. And then you know, you can use hearing as one of your meditation objects. This is another possibility for you. And I'll go through this. We'll do one more guided meditation before we end this evening. 
but you could just be in that experience where the mind is hearing. So the practice is to be mindfully aware, to be reflectively aware, oh yeah, hearing is being known. And it's not like we have to name the sounds that are being heard. It's just like resting back because hearing isn't something I have, like from an egoic point of view, I don't have to make a willful effort to hear, do you? No, hearing just happens. Just like seeing happens, touching happens. Like, do, do you have to make an effort to notice that touching is being known, sensation in your body is being felt? No. That capacity, that sensitivity is just built in. Same with being aware of thought. But what we, the effort we have to make is the effort to recognize that these six sense gates are being known here and now in the present moment. So in that sense, like when you ask the question or answer the question, what is the effort in mindfulness meditation? The effort is to remember that this is being known. Not the effort to know what's being known, because that happens naturally. It's the effort to remember, oh yeah, there is awareness knowing, and now I'm making the effort to remember that awareness is knowing. So it's really like mindfulness meditation, one way to think about it is to go from autopilot to this reflective knowing that there's a life being lived here, or that there's sensitivity here. The sensitivity is always here, but that reflective awareness that this heart, this mind is sensitive, that comes and goes. And quite frankly, truthfully, just a little bit each day are we actually mindfully aware. And with practice, we want to expand that. I mean, it's really about ideally being mindfully aware the whole day, not just when we have our 30 minutes or 45 minutes for sitting meditation. The formal sitting time is really developing the muscle, the mental muscle of mindful awareness, so it arises more naturally all day long. And what really feeds mindful awareness is recognizing how valuable it is. So once you get a sense of how functional, liberating, conducive to skillfulness mindful awareness is, and you feel like, boy, I really, I really want to cultivate this habit, then the key is notice how beneficial it is because that's how it becomes more and more the habit of the mind. If you appreciate it, if you directly notice how it's helpful, that deepens the habit. Just like, like if you have a, a negative habit, a, a bad addiction of some kind, it's not easy to unhook from bad habits, right? What really helps is in the long term, keep paying attention how the bad habit is destructive, is causing you harm and other people harm. Keep that in mind. And it erodes, it undermines the habit. And if you don't want to lose your bad habits, don't pay attention to how destructive they are. And then they'll continue forever, right?
So maybe that's enough. Let me just um, offer us a little moment to stand up and stretch, and then we're going to do a more specific mindfulness of breathing practice. So feel free to adjust your body however you want. We'll just take a minute or two. And then after we do this sit, I'm hoping that some of you will have some questions about what I've said and about the meditation time. And I'll talk more about the posture for meditation next week during week two. But for now, just sit in a way that reflects these two values that I mentioned earlier. Relaxation, being released, being soft in the body and the mind. And the other one, now they seem like opposites, alertness, brightness, interest. But actually these two basic values support each other. So right now, just see how this intention to be relaxed and this intention to be clear and alert, how they can come together in your physical sitting posture. And once you feel like you're close, just take a couple of longer Deeper but easy breaths in and out. Where you're taking a lot of time just to easily fill the lungs and a lot of relaxed time to easily empty the lungs and do that a few times. And without straining, you can see how much air you can comfortably bring in and how much air you can comfortably exhale but again, without straining. And one more time. At your own pace, fill and empty the lungs. And whenever you finish, just allow the breathing to continue on its own. And really appreciate that you don't have to manage the breathing process. You don't have to try to make it long or smooth. Instead, just simply trust the body to do the breathing, whatever that might look like. And we intend to hold the body relatively still, but from a place of relaxation, we're not getting tight. Feeling settled as best you can. And you can allow the eyes to lightly close if you like, but it's okay if you prefer to keep the eyes open. And before we do the breath meditation, let's take a few minutes and practice that hearing meditation that I mentioned. So just notice that hearing is happening. Naturally, without needing to do it, hearing is being known.
and see if you can notice and appreciate this receptive quality of the mind, this receptive experience of hearing. And one of the skills or mental muscles we're going to develop in practice is how to be actually interested in something that's very ordinary. So, for example, right now the sounds in the room might seem to the mind to be very ordinary. So then take this as a training to stay really alert really interested in the ordinary experience of hearing. Moment by moment. Using the experience of hearing to keep the present moment in mind. In this way, mindfulness has a lot to do with non-distraction or not forgetting. So in a playful way, challenge the mind to keep hearing in mind. alert and relaxed. Hearing is being known. Don't worry, the mind has a deep habit to think, to wander, to basically get lost in thought. So when you notice that the mind is lost in thought, just in a friendly way, acknowledge that and begin again. Right? Oh yeah, hearing. Hearing is being known. Remember, you can even repeat that phrase if it's helpful. Don't feel like you have to, but from time to time, you can use something like, oh yeah, hearing is being known.
And it's okay if it's extremely ordinary or subtle, that's all right. Subtle sounds are being heard. It's like this now. And we'll transition to the mindfulness of breathing practice. And we can begin by just realizing there's this ocean of bodily sensations right here in the present moment. So we just take a little time and become aware of all the different sensations that are here being known. Sensitivity to touch, it's already here. We're just tuning in or we're remembering that touching the clothes against the skin, buttocks against the chair, the cushion, the hands touching whatever they're touching, sitting, bodily sensations are being known, being felt. And see if you can simply allow, relax and allow these sensations to be the way they are. Even if some of the sensations are unpleasant, even painful, well, that's how it is sometimes. Can this be okay, these sensations? Is it safe enough to relax and simply allow the bodily sensations to be the way they are. And of course, right here in the awareness of the body, the awareness of bodily sensation, right here is the movement or the sensations of breathing in and breathing out. And for some of you, it might be quite obvious, others, the breathing process might be subtle and settled. So wherever it's easy to notice the physicality of breathing in, the physicality of breathing out, it might be at the tip of the nostrils, it might be down in the belly, but just simply notice that that stream of sensation as the breath comes in, that movement of sensation as the breath goes out. One half breath at a time. From the beginning of an in-breath to the end, from the beginning of an out-breath until its very end. interested and relaxed, alert and relaxed. And you can challenge yourself, is it possible to stay interested in that ordinary flow of sensation through one half breath in or out? without any gaps, any distractedness, and also without any unnecessary tension in the mind or body. 
And again, it's always okay to use a mental phrase or word if it supports the continuity of mindful awareness. So it could be breathing in, experiencing the body. And while you're breathing out, experiencing the body or letting the body be. Or it could be as simple as in, out. So these mental phrases or a mental word can just be supportive of the continuity of awareness when the mindfulness needs a support. Otherwise, do the practice in silence, internal silence. And if you're having some success with this continuity, get interested even in that little gap between the end of the in-breath and the beginning of each out-breath, and the end of the out-breath and that gap before the next in-breath begins.
Now we've been using a more exclusive attention to the simple experience of breathing in and breathing out. And when, you're, when you feel like you're able to drop everything else, planning mind, worry, thinking about the past or future, and can just be with that simple physicality of breathing in and breathing out, then bring in a more inclusive awareness of the whole body again. So breathing in, experiencing the whole body. While breathing out, experiencing the whole body. So there's still, there continues to be an awareness of breathing in and breathing out. But during that duration of the in-breath, we're taking the time to be aware of the whole body sitting. And during that duration of the exhalation, aware of the whole body sitting, allowing all the sensations to be the way they are. And so again, if you need a phrase, if, that, if that's helpful, you could repeat experiencing the whole body with the in-breath, allowing the body to be with the out-breath. We're cultivating a more inclusive awareness as we breathe in, cultivating a more inclusive awareness of the whole body as we breathe out. But really it's awareness, mindful awareness of the present moment. This is being known. And interestingly, even when the mind is becomes distracted, starts to think about something, then at some point the wisdom awareness remembers, oh yeah, 
thinking is being known, distraction is being known. So that moment when you realize you've been lost in thought, that's a moment of mindful awareness. So there's no need, it's not helpful to be frustrated when you notice that the mind's been distracted because the mind is already aware of the present moment in that moment. Oh, having been lost in thought is like this, feels like this. So as we continue for a few more minutes before we end, be very interested in that moment when you notice that the mind's been distracted and see if you can recognize that moment as a moment of mindful awareness. Oh yeah, this is being known. Feels like this. And then right there you'll notice in the present moment there already is the breath and the experience of the whole body sitting. And this way the present moment naturally is an inclusive experience. It's not a fragmented experience. Everything is here and now in the present moment. So we're going to continue for just another two minutes or so. And if your eyes have been closed, just uh, gently let them open. Take a few moments and just notice any effects from, we've been practicing for about 25 minutes. Notice how it is. Maybe the mind's dull, maybe the mind's clear. Maybe the mind's reactive, maybe it feels balanced. 
Just notice the effects, if any. And then as you need to, stretch the body, move a little if that's helpful. <clears throat> scratch the itches you want to scratch. One thing that's good to mention, uh, especially for those of you who are brand new to practice, it's really good. Now you every you know once you go home, and ideally you're going to practice every day for these six weeks just to get a sense of what the practice can offer. You know, it's totally fine to say you know I'm just not into it, but you really want to give yourself some enough experience to know whether you want to let it go or whether you want to cultivate it. So I really encourage you, even if it's just two minutes a day, I mean, that's not ideal, but it's better than no minutes a day, where you have a place you're going to sit, you've taken, made some effort to make sure the room is quiet. And the point I wanted to make is, and then for that period of time, that feels workable, given all your other duties and responsibilities, practice sitting relatively still. But not a stillness that comes from getting tight, but a stillness that comes from being settled. Now, that will be easier for some than others, but every one of us, we can develop the capacity to be physically settled and relatively, not perfectly, but relatively still for the time we've chosen. And what I'd recommend, instead of having a clock in front of you that you're inclined to open your eyes and look at, just get one nice app, it's free, it's called Insight Timer. And you can download that. I mean, you could just use your timer on your phone, the regular clock, that every smartphone has, of course, and just don't have it so loud. Um, and don't even have your cell phone like right in front of you where you'd be tempted to turn it on to look. Put it behind you or just far enough away that you're less inclined in, in an impulsive moment to kind of open it up. But you could download that uh, app, Insight Timer, and then it has a nice bell sound like I played that will, you know, it's of course built into the app. And you could set it for any amount of time that you have to set. So when you set that time, five minutes, 10 minutes, be great if it was 30 minutes or even longer for some of you, maybe twice a day for some of you who have that kind of time, that's, that's great. Because it's a really important learning time these six weeks. But set an amount of time where you're pretty sure you can be relatively still for that amount of time. Now you might space out and start scratching or adjust your spine, but the intention, then just reset the attention. Be forgiving, no need to get frustrated or judgmental. Oh yeah, and just reassert that intention in your heart. You know what? I'm gonna do my best to be settled and relatively still for the rest of this meditation time. I'm going to cultivate the habit of sitting still for a period of time. <clears throat> and you'll build your capacity over time. Don't set an un unrealistic goal. Okay, two hours sitting still. Because it won't happen. And then you'll want to give up. 
but start with an amount of time that works. And then you can sit longer. Like if you set it for five minutes because you really want to make sure you're successful. Great. And then when that bell goes off, let it go off. You got more time? I'll, I'll continue to sit and cultivate mindful awareness now for a little longer. And maybe one day a week, don't set a timer. And you know you have some time and just see how long you want to sit. So you're not kind of like imposing, you know, I've set the timer for 15 minutes or 20 minutes or half an hour or whatever. So I mentioned it's, we learn a lot and it's really great. It's a great offering, actually an act of generosity for people to ask questions and to just share experiences, including what was difficult or what you learned about your own mind, your own heart, about the practice. And so, you know, there's only about 33 of us, so it's totally okay. You can just unmute yourself. And as uh, maybe not everyone heard, but I'm spotlighted myself because once a year I record these intro classes. And when I'm spotlighted, your video will never show up in the recording that we'll put up on our um, YouTube channel, but your voice will. So I'm just letting you know that. Um, but yeah, but it's nice to hear from some of you. So you can just go ahead and either digitally raise your hand or just go ahead and unmute yourself. It's nice to introduce yourselves with your first name if you want, um, but otherwise just share a little bit about what you're learning or a question that you have. Anybody want to begin? How were these first two sits that we had for you? What did you learn? Anybody find it useful to use a mental note or a mental phrase to help clarify what's being known. Anybody do that during the sit tonight? Yeah. Any, did you learn anything about that? I see one person acknowledging. Okay, go ahead, Bill, and then Laurie, you can go next if you want. Well, let me ask you this, Bill, like about that point about anxiety, because it it's a it's a very appropriate thing on the first night of a six week class on uh, introduction to mindfulness meditation, like to wonder what do I get from this. <laughs> so your last point there, Bill. Now I'll, I'll ask you a question. Like so, the anxiety hasn't gone away, or the the sort of habits, the controlling habits of the I'll call it the conditioned mind, the habit based mind, the habits, the not so helpful habits are still there. That sounds like some wisdom, right? That knowing, being more honest that they're still there. So, but do you, have you noticed that there's more of a wise space in terms of how you relate to those constricting habits, those anxious habits, those controlling habits? Like, has the way your mind relates to those habits of mind changed? over these years. Yeah. Because there's there's really two things we get from the practice. One is this very like you said put out the fires. We we develop skills to uh be involved in a way to participate in the mind stream like what kind of habits are showing up. We 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 learn how to abandon habits we find not useful like be, being hateful, you know. And we learn how to cultivate habits that are useful, like being patient or being clear. 
But the, the deeper skill that's learned, it's a little harder to talk about, is that sense of wise space, where even when uh, unhelpful habit of my mind has been activated, something has triggered it, and there, there it is, that defensiveness or that reactivity, but there's a lot of space of understanding, oh yeah, that's that reactive habit. Sometimes it's like this. So it's there, but it's a little less toxic because I'm not so identified. I'm not so afraid. And so I have a lot more nimbleness, even though the defensiveness has gotten triggered or the hatefulness or whatever the negative habit might be has gotten triggered. There's a lot more relaxation, a lot more clarity and a lot more nimbleness as we do our best not to act out the habit that's gotten triggered. And I like what you said too um, about, you know, your first comment, Bill, about it's easy because there is so much as we learn about the mind, we can get lost in the weeds because there's so many layers of subtlety about our mental conditioning or emotional habits. And so one of the things I hope you get away from the class and you can just start practicing, especially those of you who've been at it for a while, like at the beginning, practice giving yourself a one minute Dharma talk about what you're doing. Why am I doing this and what am I doing? And don't say it the same way each day at the beginning of your set. Like some of you who are totally new, you'll just remember one of the things I said, oh yeah, I don't know much, but I know it's about remembering to be aware or remembering what's being known. Oh yeah, that's what Mark said, remembering this is being known and to be relaxed and alert, right? So that would be great. Like if you could remember that tomorrow when you put aside time, that's a real accomplishment. But remember, take a minute, it doesn't need to be longer, and just verbalize your intention. Why am I doing this? What's this about? And sometimes it will be a total flop, but then you'll be interested, like you'll listen a little bit more, or you might check your notes, and uh, if you, hopefully you got the handout, the handouts. So uh, right before the class, maybe an hour or two before the class, I sent an email to everybody who registered, and it has a little link in case you want to make a contribution, and it also has a link for the handouts for the class. So you can review them. Um, and there's also something on our website under programs called New to Meditation. And there's some articles that I've written and some other resources there besides the handouts for the class. And you can re-listen to this class. Um, I'll send the, the uh, recording out. But also you can, the you know, on our YouTube channel, last summer's class is there you can listen to. So you can remind yourself as it's useful for you. If you can't remember, like, why am I doing this? <laughs> because you want to be able to do that by the end of the class. You want to understand why this is valuable for you, for each of us. And you want to be able to articulate to that, that to yourself so you don't forget it. You know, you don't want to be dependent on a teacher or recording to know why you're doing this. Yeah, thanks, Bill. And how about you, Laurie? Did you want to say something? Yeah. So, and that's something for everybody to experiment with, even not just when you're formally in, in your meditation time, but just during the day, and then you notice you're totally wrapped up in a planning mind, 
And then just take that moment. It's almost like you're stepping out of the bubble of planning and there's that meta moment of realizing, oh yeah, planning is being known. And just experiment with that is being known piece. So one way to do it is just to name planning or thinking or hearing or seeing or moving or reaching. You know, So just to name the experience that's being known. But it, you might find it useful to add that second piece is being known. And sometimes you won't even need to name specifically what's being known. You can even use the word this. This is being known. This experience is being known. But it's nice to add that piece from time to time is being known because it, it brings to mind the two things. There's an experience and it's being known. And together, the experience that's being known is what we call the present moment. That's what the present moment is, experience being known in an endless succession. And that makes up a human life. So if you want to pass the Buddhist quiz, like what what is the truth of your life? Experience being known. That's the answer. Because that's, that's the most succinct, honest answer of what it means to be you and me. It has been a succession of this being known experience being known, one after another. Sometimes the experience being known is, you know, my own imagination is being known. Sometimes it's, you know, seeing is being known or touching is being known. A lot of time, you know, the, the predominant experience is being lost in thought. So there's no is being known because it's like we're absorbed in a movie or a dream that's most of our waking day, let alone when we're asleep, of course, in a dream. But in our waking day, most of, like the most accurate description is lost in thought. So there is no reflective awareness that this is being known. Thanks, Laurie. Other thoughts or questions that are emerging? We have about nine minutes left. Yeah, and it's good to... Uh, experiment what actually pragmatically helps you connect with the reality of the present moment. So, you know, I'll, I'll throw th some things out for everybody, but what has worked for me or works for someone else may not help. And remember, mentally labeling is a technique. What we're actually doing is noticing the way it is, noticing the present moment, remembering to recognize the present moment. We don't need any mental noting or mental phrases at all. It's just a technique to experiment with to see if it helps. When it helps, use it. When it's not helpful, drop it. And so if, if you found some way of phrasing it that helps, that's a nice thing to share in these discussion times that we'll have these six weeks because we will learn from each other. It, had, had you found something, Kelly, that was working? Yeah, we're acknowledging the, 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 the truth. Yeah, witness, observing. But the thing about is being known is that it's highlighting something the Buddha thinks is really important as we're learning about the nature of our mind, that there is this thing, awareness. It's sort of like a fish in water. It's very hard for a fish to know water because they it's always there 
And it's a little bit like awareness. Awareness is so fundamental to what it is to be a human being, we tend not to notice it. So by, you know, it, whether or not you use that phrase as being known, the point is we want to recognize that the present moment is being known. But you don't have to use that mental phrase, you know, silently in your mind. But you do want to recognize, because it's, and it's, it will definitely be, for some of you, awkward. Almost like, I shouldn't be paying attention to this. You know, it, it feels like I'm meant to be on autopilot. And now somebody is telling me to be aware that I've been on autopilot. And that makes it all, now all of a sudden I'm clumsy. I seem to operate in my life better when I'm oblivious. So, but that's just the learning process. So don't be confused if it feels awkward. And really experiment with the phrase or drop the phrases so that you're really owning. You're not doing something because somebody told you to. You're really seeing what actually helps to keep the present moment in mind. To be aware in this reflective way. Yeah, thanks for the good comment. Allison did... But we're not actually trying, I mean, it's, it is true, like you suggest, Allison, that when something is clearly seen, it kind of breaks the spell that keeps it repeating. So you, you said, like, it put it to bed. But we're not trying to make it go away. So remember, whatever is working, like, I love what you did, you know, just to greet it. That's a beautiful way, that's a beautiful innovation, right? To find a way to have an honest recognition with what's there. And in week five, we'll really talk about the importance of compassion and kindness. Truthfully, there's really no mindful awareness without kindness. It's not really possible to be present because presence has a natural quality of generosity. You know, when we're present with a sensation, a sound, or another human being, there's already kindness there. And if there isn't, we're kind of even if it's very subtle, we're at war with the present moment. That's not being mindful, that's being at war with the present moment. We're controlling, we're judging, we're hurrying something up or slowing something down because we like it. That's, you know, that's greed, anger, and delusion. That's how we talk about it in Buddhism, which is, you know, unskillful ways of relating with greed, with hatred, and in denial or with delusion. Yeah, thanks for sharing that with us. It's good to hear, Allison. Vijaya? Yeah. It, and that's, you know, it's so good just to hear you report that. Because, I mean, that's so interesting that when there is this mindful presence and thought, and because initially when we're, we have moments of being vigilant, present, it's like, all the thoughts hide because <laughs> they're not supposed to be there, you know. And then when we get a little bit more settled in our practice, then think, thoughts will start coming back. It's like, oh, okay. And we'll think about earlier today and we'll imagine what's going to happen tomorrow and we'll think about the practice we're doing. And then, then you'll notice all kinds of different patterns like we'll use awareness to try to the kind of the got you. Oh, I see you. I see you. And then we'll realize that's a little aggressive, you know, and we'll back off because we're going to be learning more and more how to be receptive and to really give permission. Like 
will the thought go away on its own so that the awareness, and this is the thing about mental noting, a lot of the times we catch that aggressiveness, that controlling habit in our mindfulness practice when we hear the tone of how we're noting, oh yeah, thinking, but we're going thinking. And there's a little tightness, a little aggression in even how we're naming or noticing that experience. But you're right, it's really a good thing to be able to notice how until the practice is really, there's a lot of wisdom and a lot of relaxation, then the practice itself tends to uh, freeze up, as you said, I think, or the flow of the present moment. But with more practice, you'll see that you can be aware of thoughts, you can be aware of emotions, and they come and go, but it's not, it's not sort of uh, freezing anything up, because the awareness has no agenda except to see things as they are. But, but the habit of controlling is so deeply entrenched that whatever we pay attention to with some closeness, we just naturally feel we have to control it. So a lot of what we're doing in the first years of practice is learning how to be aware with no agenda except to understand it as it is. That takes some time not to be controlling when we're aware. So we need a lot of forgiveness and patience. Any last thoughts about that, Vijaya? Yeah, but then just notice the, yeah, just notice that blank space. Like one question you can ask, is there awareness in that, what you're calling the blank space? Then just, oh yeah, there's awareness as being known. There's a knowing mind, but there's nothing distinct being known in that knowing. So, but there's still knowing, right? So just acknowledge the knowing. Oh yeah, there's knowing. Knowing is being known. I know that sounds funny, but that's the truth, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we're out of time, and I, I, I like to begin right at time at 7.30 each week, and I'll end right at 9 too, so to be respectful of everybody's schedules. Now, the last thing I want to say, though, is next Tuesday, even if you felt like this is really useful, a lot of resistance comes up. One, we don't like to be challenged, and being mindfully aware will, cha mindfully aware will cha challenge a lot. So even if there's resistance, just be aware of it and come to the class for the six weeks. Give yourself some time to dig into the practice before deciding if you want to continue with it in your life. Okay, so I hope to see you next Tuesday. Have a good week, everybody, and thanks for being here. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.